Okay, so hello everyone. Welcome to Coaches on the Couch. I'm Rachel. And I'm Louise. And we're really pleased this morning to be joined by Adam Scott, who is Director of Free State. Welcome, Adam. Good to see you on the virtual couch. How are you? Good morning. It's a Good morning, great Adam. to be here. Hello, hello, hello. Great. So before we get into what I know is going to be a really interesting and rich conversation with you, let's chat to couches. Tell us something brief and interesting about your couch. Well, I think I think in some ways the couch, not that I'm going to be contrary for the whole conversation, but <laughs> I have something that's couch-ish where we oh. I've, I've always dreamed of having a, a 19 sort of 70s hanging basket chair. You know, nice. those kind of things like kind of yeah. wicker and you, cu- you curl up in it and we've just got one of those. And so it's an absolute delight. The only problem is that everybody, the whole family want to be in it. So we have to sort of draw straws now so that we can have our time in it. And at the moment, the cat is in it. So I think that that's my favorite place right now. Fabulous. Do you have to stop the kids swinging wildly in it? Because I've seen a photograph and I think when my kids were kids, they would have used that as a swing. Yeah, there, <laughs> there are some serious rules about it, but I think also <laughs> because um, I think they, 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 we've, we, they've understood now that the, the sort of the, the fact that everybody is, takes it so very seriously and everybody loves it that actually, uh, yeah, it's quite nice. Actually, they're beginning to take it seriously, too. And also I put up a load of different hooks around the house so you can move it to different places. Oh, wow. Brilliant. So you could have it in a window or you could have it outside. And so that's the future of couches, I'd say. Oh, that's great. Controversial. So, Adam, on your website, you describe Free State as experienced master planners. You work with brand builders and city makers such as Sony, Nike and Manchester City Football Club to design the sorts of places that people want to live, work and play in. And I thought that perhaps you could explain briefly where the experience fits in and how you are different from other architects and master planners. Yeah, so I think the key thing is that where I think often thinking about the built environment goes wrong is people fall in love with the end product. They get almost overexcited by the architecture. They leap to that. Whereas I think, you know, particularly we've worked with a lot of consumer electronics brands over the years, like Sony and Samsung and Microsoft. And what they do is they do a huge amount of research into their target audience, the psychographics, their enthusiasms. And then they dig into their moment by moment journey, noting that it will be many, many channels of influence that will need to be employed to inspire people to get involved. And then they brief all the channels. And fundamentally, that's what we do for cities. We understand our audience. We work out their ideal experience. And then we brief all of the channels of which architecture is one of them. Yeah, that makes sense. It does. <laughs> OK, a little bit about you, Adam. So you're an architect and designer and founded Free State in 2002. And you describe yourself as a lifelong advocate of truly transformational experience with abiding passions being the experiential wonders of the English Landscape Garden, the Shaman and the Las Vegas Casino. It's really hard to imagine two more different experiences than the English Landscape Garden and the Las Vegas Casino. I know it's it's I, now, now I think about it I think that must sound very random people coming to our website. <laughs> it does sound very random. <laughs> Our, our website is pretty evasive anyway. So um, so what, what that's about is, so I, I grew up at Stowe in Buckinghamshire, which is the first English landscape garden. And that's where, you know, where Capability Brown grew up. You know, he was the under gardener there. He was a kid there. 
And what is fantastic about getting to know Stowe is that it rewards your curiosity. It is about the moment by moment, step by step. And the more you dive in down those serpentinian paths, the more you then, you know, a statue reveals itself. A, you know, there'll be an inscription under there and then a temple there. And only when you're in that temple does it reveal the other one. And it starts to create a dialogue between all these different mediums. And in many ways, it's exactly the same as let's take the Wynn or the Encore, which are the great casino resorts in Las Vegas, which, re which reward your curiosity. They don't give everything up from the outside. If you go into the wind, you first you're greeted by a blank facade. Then you go in and there's this golden entrance and then almost like a yellow brick road that takes you through. And then at the very center is the is the, the lake of dreams. I mean, cheesy language, but it's kind of wonderful. And only then from that central point do you see the gaming halls and you dive in. It's a similar thing. And it's not surprising, maybe, that the Imagineers that Disney first employed in the late 1940s to help him plan Disneyland went to Stowe to help him think about the ideal journey and how you would inspire attraction and involvement. So they're all linked. Mm. Yeah, that link becomes clearer when you describe it like that. And I suppose one of the purposes of that of that kind of journey that people take through is that it gives them a sense of belonging, which coincidentally is the theme of today's <laughs> podcast. Uh, and we're gonna bring it down to a different level now because we're at a time when many organizations are thinking about their future workplaces and ways of working. Yeah. And we thought that you would have something interesting to add to the discussion around how that feeling of belonging might be experienced in the future when more people are working from anywhere and there's perhaps less focus on the office. So we've talked about the journey that your projects in particular try to take people on and perhaps we could uh, now talk about what belonging in this context means to you. Yes, so I see belonging as you might not be surprised as part of a narrative arc. And so I see there's attraction, involvement, and then belonging. And I think in all of the work we've done over 20 years, whether it's working with brands or working in events, or now increasingly in you know, mega workplace environments, so campuses particularly is what I do now. And you know, Nike is one of our key clients and they have a legendary campus in Portland in Oregon. And so what we're looking at with them is that we're thinking about the program. We're thinking about the moment by moment. We're thinking about how everything, whether it's, you know, your, your digital connection or your connection to events or fellow people, how that works in terms of mediated by hosts or mediated by buildings is all there to develop that narrative arc. And so for me, firstly, we need to attract, which is to better understand what people are interested in. You know, we're building awareness. We're doing it on their terms. You know, there could be something kind of dramatic and exciting about that. But then you need to get people involved. You need to do that on people's terms. You need to warm them up. You need to kind of give them cues. And then slowly they'll participate. They'll take part. And fundamentally, the workplace of now is going to be much more, less about focus, more about collaboration, more about that energy of bringing people together. And then you follow through with belonging, which is giving people opportunities to tell that story, to bang the drum, that they're not just 
you know, involved, that they are the makers of those experiences. I heard it described the other day as that diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is having a hand in the playlist. And what we need to do is give people a hand in the playlist because then they'll tell others, then they'll want to stay. And that's what belonging is built upon. But for me, it's about the program first and then the place follows. I'm just thinking, Adam, when people are obviously have their workplaces, whether that's the physical office, it's already set up, isn't it, for a lot of people. And now they've had to make this shift to something where they're going to have to work perhaps slightly differently in this slightly more hybrid way. So how do you think, how do you think organisations can actually do that when you're almost retrofitting this, what you're describing, into an existing workplace? Yeah, well, I suppose, uh, you know, and this is going to sound crass, but the first thing you need to do is ask people. And I think, you know, too often the way, uh, you know, workplace design works is that there's lots and lots of people who are kind of, you know, working on it and they know best practice and they've read many, many books and they get a getting on with, you know, what they think is best. Whereas the greatest workplaces, particularly the ones in terms of the sort of sliding doors award, like, you know, Salesforce this year or Airbnb the year before, are brilliant about asking their audience. And so, and then what you do is you have many, many levels of change, of opportunity for almost thinking about your workplace as a perpetual field test. So, for instance, the way Google do it is they ask all of their workers or all of their employees what kind of level of change needs to happen with it with regard to this idea of the perpetual field test so it's a either a two two minute thing a two hour thing a two day thing a two week thing or two month thing so a two hour thing might be a change in technology um a two day thing might be something about hosting might be something about maybe an event that needs to happen on thursday or friday a two week thing that could easily happen might be made maybe the way you set up those workshops or the maybe maybe there's a changing setting that they can make and then bring in and maybe a two month thing might be about how you change a town hall or it might be about how you change a floor or a neighborhood and so what you need to do is you need to think about it in the same way that Frank Duffy thought about it in terms of shearing layers, but you need to give as much attention to those things that are close and proximate to your audience as those bigger things. And then you need to behave like an impresario. And the problem is most people are, are employed by asset managers who fundamentally want to keep things the same where actually we need to be thinking in regard of constant churn because the, in these uncertain, certainly uncertain times, it will be that liveliness that will draw in our audience and that's what we need to turn up. So nothing remains static. It's always movable. Yeah, and that's why we use the phrase always meanwhile. And I think always meanwhile, it's just true, too, that I think architects, you know, and a lot of people, you know, like to pretend that what they're doing is something that's permanent. No, it's not. It's just like, you know, it's various levels of impermanence. And I think particularly in the world of the workplace, we need to get over the idea. I mean, the workplace over the last 20 years has fallen in love with the idea of being a bit like a home I don't think it's a bit like a home. Actually, our homes are a bit like homes and we really like working in them, it seems. What we need our offices to be like is probably a bit more like entertainment. And I don't mean like constantly all singing or dancing, but I mean a bit like, you know, great black box theater in that we can be bringing things in and out. We can constantly be changing it. And we have a team, you know, that's why we need more back of house. 
That's why we need meetings that are not an hour long, but are 45 meters long, 45, meters, 45 minutes long, so that we have 15 minutes for people to turn it around, to ch constantly change it. So we need to be more yeah, attuned to, I suppose, yeah, the theater of workplace. And fundamentally, we use words already, don't we, like performance. And I think we need to better understand that, you know, better turn yeah, that. Yeah. I'm just wondering, Adam, because the Free State, am I right, is part of wider hassle organization. Is that correct? I'm just wondering how you're applying this. With the, Obviously, having you in-house at Hassle must give the practice all sorts of different opportunities to embrace the sort of new way of working. What, what's happening with that? Well, I mean, particularly because Free State is neutral. Well, I suppose ideally, like any good strategist, you or, or like any good anthropologist, like let's take Diana Fossey and her gorillas in the mist. You go to your gorillas completely open-minded, without a spirit of deja vu. You learn from them kind of absolutely objectively, and then you use that to inform your practice thereafter, your understanding, your insights thereafter. And Free State, I would like to think, is very, very good at that. We're very good at going to our audience, understanding them, particularly the psychographic, their enthusiasms, their motivations, their needs, and then using that to create a strategy that then allows us to brief all departments. And so from Hassel's point of view, they are a brilliant transdisciplinary group of designers. So then they can then take this vision and begin to work on it and, you know, work upon it, not so much in terms of the design cues, but in terms of the aspiration of changing behavior, because fundamentally our strategies are all about you know, what behavior change we're after. Mm. And then we're then interested in then how we measure it at the end. So we're helping to extend their process but also, Hassel wouldn't mind me saying, we also work with lots and lots of different designers. So we're, we're very friendly. Oh, I'm sure. And when you go, when you have a new client meeting, say you're going to, um, I know you work quite a lot with airports. And let's face it, few of us can remember what the experience of an airport is like. <laughs> but for those of us that can, it sometimes it's not the most pleasant of experiences. It's, it's, a, it's a, you know, how can we make this walk through the shopping more oh, yeah. as long as possible and when you go and talk to a client it's you clearly talk to the leaders of the client organization yeah. is there any sort of qualities in the leader of a client organization that you think yeah this guy or this woman is gonna she's she or he is gonna come with me on this or yeah. any point at which you think this isn't going to work because that person doesn't have the vision that i need them to have i just yeah. wonder what the qualities are in your your, if you had to think of your best client, yeah. what are the qualities that they have? Yeah, it's a lovely question. So my best client is, um, is a gentleman called Lyle Stramby, who for me exemplifies all that makes for the, the greatest of clients and the greatest of leaders. So he is the CEO of Melbourne Airport. Melbourne Airport, you know, when, it, when it's fully working, has 37 and a half million people going through it every year. It's growing with every year in two years time, well, post-COVID, it's due to be the busiest airport in Australia. And so Lyle used to be COO of Qantas and before that Virgin Atlantic, which was where we first met him. And so he really understands through that work with Virgin Atlantic, the importance of all elements of the experience. It's not just about, you know, a bit like at that time they were competing, you know, harshly, you know, seriously, energetically against British Airways. British Airways had over 300 planes and was building a cathedral to aviation, which was the new Terminal 5. Little Virgin Atlantic could never do that. 
And so, you know, Lyle and team's mission was to look at every single step of the journey and look at how they could better serve, better cater for, better inspire their audience, which would not just be about the lounge and the architecture, but would be all about the touch points. And that's why they started first, they were the first to send people a limousine that came to your door, that drove you up into the terminal through like a James Bond baddies ramp, which had this amazing lighting show that announced you. And then people would step forward and open the door and then there would be wonderful pink light above you as you arrived. And, you know, wonderful series of celebrations. Anyway, what Lyle is doing is doing a similar thing at Melbourne Airport. And you know he's so great in that on the one hand, all the meetings or always have all the key players within it from all the departments. So there'll be the head of marketing, the head of the states, the head of technology, the head of HR. So he clearly understands that it's the whole ecosystem that needs to be there from the beginning. But then also when you walk around one of the terminals with him, he's there, you know, if there's an errant um, uh, sort of trolley, he'll push it into place. If there's some elderly lady looking lost, he'll go up and ask them if he can help them. You know, he's constantly stepping forward. So he is modeling the great behavior he wants to see in all of his 20,000 staff mm. every single moment of every day at every level. And so he is our ideal client. We love him and we'd like to find more like Lyle. Great <laughs> <Okay>. answer. <laughs> Imagine for a moment, Adam, that I'm the leader of an architectural practice yeah. and I've got 500 people who ordinarily, pre-pandemic, were working within the office mainly and on site a bit and as architects do. And we've done our survey and we've discovered that most people actually want to spend about three days in the office and two days at home. So we're going to have a hybrid workforce. What yeah. tips would you give me as we start to try and make sure that this belonging is felt all the way across that organization when it's not running quite as it used to. Well, I mean, I'm going to be a total broken record here, but I'm, I'm going to say, well, it's going to be in the program. So you're going to think you're going to talk only about time and the architects, you know, and maybe, you know, the people running the business are architects too. And normally what they do is they're going to get out some plans and they're going to go, well, who's going to go where? And at what time are they going to go? And maybe we're going to have a satellite place here or, or maybe it's going to be powered by this technology. They're already getting massively tactical. I would say that what you need to do is you need to start looking at your week, your month, your year. You need to be thinking about what are those highlights that are going to bring people together? What are those kind of celebrations of collaboration? And thinking about having on the one hand some kind of rhythm to that that is starting to establish maybe rituals that you could maybe you quietly had in place before maybe there was some times where you'd have breakfast together maybe there were common lunch and learns happening maybe there was an incidental thursday friday afternoon drink you need to be getting more into those starting to find out what are those mm -hmm. that people like but also making sure that you're setting up a system because you're a big organization that may be a bit like airbnb for every 50 of your staff there's a host there's somebody who's constantly asking the question what do you want to see happening what should happen next did you go to this particular event did you enjoy it what would you like to see change so those people are taking your loose framework of program across time and they're starting to inhabit 
creative with all of their different ideas, all of their show and tells, all of their bring the clients in. And so in that sense, it is the liveliness of it that will be the first principle. And then you're going to think about the kind of spaces and technologies and teams you're going to need to make that happen. But that hosting bit is mm. fundamental to what you need to get right here. Because yeah. at the moment, it's been assumed that people turn up. And so there hasn't been any hosting. This yeah. should no longer be assumed. So we've now got to better mediate that relationship and celebrate the fact that people have commuted because we now know that's a big deal. Yeah, that's 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 so interesting. It's a whole new job description there. Yeah. Um, and it would be interesting where that falls you know, if that comes to pass in some organization, where where that falls, that job, because as a XPR and communications person, I'm seeing it as a communications role, and then it could yeah. be an HR role, but um, it is a whole separate job, isn't it? Making sure that that, um, what you call the various levels of impermanence continue to suit people as the organization and people within it transition. Exactly, exactly. And I think that thing I said about inclusion, about, you know, having a hand in the playlist, kind of, yeah. you know, Hold, handing the mic around you know that person that you employ you know maybe they you know worked with a peer here you know who, uh, who run markets up and down the country or maybe they were you know running a you know a lounge for virgin atlantic or something so they've really got a sort of experience in their hearts but they're really they've got that kind of humility to be able to go it's about you it's that kind of great host who has the confidence to go well, tell me about yourself. You know, you know, they're real. They're great active listeners, and they're 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 at their best when they're standing behind a column and giving you the space to shine. Mm. Well, this is a slight change of tack, but because we're about leadership, I was looking at your website earlier, and Free State as an organisation does a lot of thought leadership. You have a, you have your own podcast. We don't generally promo other podcasts, but I've listened to a couple of episodes, and it's really interesting. Uh, particularly Amy LeMay's about uh, London at night and the experience of that and you have a newsletter and I wondered how much you saw that thought leadership as being critical to the role of leadership generally. I think I mean I think it is absolutely and I think what I what I like about oh, I suppose any insight piece whether it's a recording or written or or a live event or something I think that's kind of what we're in business to do that actually everything else is is the outcome of those insights. Every project we have is in some ways secondary. Like I had a wonderful brunch with Michael Wolf, the legendary kind of founder of Wolf Ollins about 10 years ago. And, and he told me that, you know, part of why he, he, he sort of almost fell out with the world of business is he was surrounded by too many people who were saying we're in business to make money. We're actually, we're in business to earn money. And I think the insight work allows us to earn the right to do those projects thereafter. And so in many ways, I see those as not the BD nice to have icing on the cherry type thing, but that's basically what we do. And everything else is almost the prototyping of those insights. And, and, and as a result, I encourage all of our team to be involved in those insight projects, whether we're researching or running an event, like we did one yesterday for Melbourne Design Week, which was a, it was called, how, how the, can the suburbs save the city? And we, and we ran it like a 1970s game show where we had two teams, team suburbs, team city, and they were kind of basically debating how they might learn from one another. 
And so what was lovely about that is there were five, a team of five in Melbourne who were setting it up and absolutely loving that. And it, it, it informs the projects and learns from the projects. But for me, it's fundamental to everything we do. It's a really nice parallel there, isn't there, with leadership that sort of earn, earn money rather than the right to make money. You earn leadership yeah. almost rather than that, that sort of um, entitled position of leadership you earn that respect you earn the followers yeah and I think that's also because you know that thing you said about the level we were you know like airports or whatever that you know no one's ever going to trust us being that special council if we're not out there you know pushing the boat out looking at the soft edges of all these disciplines and sectors because fundamentally that's what those CEOs need they're not trained to be CEOs. They might come from a finance background or marketing or estates background. And so to be able to be that glue that can work across all those silos and bust them up and find new direction that brings everybody together, they're only going to see that through the way we write and the way we talk. And that, that earns us the right to be at that table, I'd say. I think we're um, coming to the end of our time with you, Adam. We could chat about this all day Absolutely. it's fascinating yeah it's really interesting i wonder if you could and this is a big question but we like those um i wonder if you could sort of give us some thoughts on the future you know that how you think the future way of working and belonging is going to work as we sort of emerge out of this pandemic well we're writing a book with the riba which is called um it's called architecture for the post-pandemic world and so I'm, I'm doing lots of lots of thinking about cities at the moment and I think in terms of the future of this city, which would be true of the workplace as it's true of the hub, the mixed activity hub, as it's true of the campus, as it's true of the neighborhood, as true of the city, is I think this spirit of co-creation needs to be at the very center of what's happening at every single level. And so if I think about you know, that campus level, there are institutional investors and sovereign wealth funds who are not wishing to just see what it means for the building. They're wanting to see that there's a thriving community which will then grow the value and you know, integrity of this place over 10, 20, 30 years. I'm seeing more and more people talking about, and COVID has really pushed this forward, about the relationship of being commercially astute in the long term and socially useful every single day. And I think this is the agenda, this lovely revenue plus reputation story that I think is going to be the, the engine of what makes for great cultures and great places moving forward. And I think fundamental to that is co-creation. It's handing the mic around. It's actually walking and talking proper inclusion. And I think, you know, that that needs to happen in the workplace. First off, I think we need to model good behavior there. And then I think we need to then make better friends with our neighbours. And so I think what we're going to see is a softer line between where we work, where we live, where we play, where we kind of, you know, kind of co-work, where we co-live, where we co-play. And I think that's that's extremely exciting. And there's going to be a terrible wrench through the high street, particularly as we see, you know, the old system destroying itself. But actually this new blurred personality built on those strong relationships, I think is a very exciting future. And, and I'm keen to do mm. everything I can to make that happen. Isn't it? And we look forward to that book. <laughs> Sounds really interesting.
You're very good. Well, it's well, actually that one came out in, in January. So that's uh, so I'll send you a copy of that one. Oh, please do. And there's, there's another on the way. But thank you very Fabulous. much. No, well, thank you, Adam. That was really lovely conversation. Great way yeah. to start the day. Thank you. Great way to start the day. Enjoy the rest yeah. of yours. Yeah. Thank you both. See you soon. Bye bye. OK, bye. Bye.